Today's show is sponsored by our good friends over at Tortuga Backpacks. And the more I travel, the more I realize the value in high quality gear. And if you guys are listening to this podcast, you know that I am frugal. And I used to be the type of person who would always look for the cheapest stuff. And then I'd have to replace it constantly. But I have had a total mindset shift over the last three years on the road. And now to me, it's not the cheapest stuff, but it's the stuff that has the best value. I have much less stuff nowadays. I basically only own the things that fit in my Tortuga backpack, plus a teensy bit of stuff in storage. But when I buy something, I want to make sure it's high quality and that is going to last me. That is why I have been using my Tortuga backpack to travel all over the world for the last three years. I have the Tortuga, the Tortuga Air, and the Tortuga Day Pack. And if you are looking for a high quality backpack, one that you want to be able to take with you anywhere in the world and have it hold up to the rigors of travel, check out tortugabackpacks.com. And of course, don't forget to use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters, and you will get 10% off your entire order. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 172. The world's most expensive pair of jeans is made by Secret Circus, costs $1.3 million, and has high-quality large diamonds sewn into the back pockets. Now, is that machine wash warm or machine wash cold? Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is a man who hates washing and ironing his clothes, but loves going down a slip and slide in quote-unquote work clothes, Stefan Lobel, founder of Bluffworks. Stefan, thanks so much for joining me today, and welcome. Hey, Travis. Great to be here. Stefan, I'm super excited to have you on the show because we've been in contact for about a year and a half now, off and on. I've been following everything that you've been doing over that last year and a half, and it's been a lot of cool stuff. So it feels good to finally get a time to have you come on, tell your story, where you hang out right now, because it looks pretty neat in the background there. Yeah, so I'm actually I'm at a co-working space in New York City. Bluffworks is a small company, and, and my team is kind of scattered all over the U.S. And uh, in New York, it's me plus a bunch of uh, factory people and textile people. So uh, I'm out of WeWork, if you guys know them. Fantastic co-working space and just works great. Awesome. Well, Stefan gave me a little bit of a tour of it beforehand. I felt like I was in a maze, just all these little glass cubicles everywhere. And you're actually in a phone booth, I think? I'm in a phone booth. Yeah, they have uh, small little phone booths where you can go to uh, have a quiet conversation. Awesome. Co-working space is really cool. And on today's show, guys, we're going to be talking about how and why Stefan created the ultimate pair of travel pants. We're going to delve into how Stefan was able to get Bluffworks started, because that's a really interesting story, and how he was able to take it from a dream to reality, discuss 
of course, how your travel, Stefan, helped shape this desire to make these pants. Talk about your quitting your job story, which I loved, and I love the video you made for that. And of course, we're going to be talking cheap travel tips and also how you sat in first class without a ticket. So lots, oh boy. Of, lots of cool stuff, <laughs> lots of cool stories here. I'm interested in hearing all this stuff because I only know a little bit, the tip of the iceberg. But first, let's start out with a little bit of your background. How did you first get into travel? And was there some sort of like aha moment that you thought, all right, this is what's going to be my life now, not just a part of my life, but I'm going to make it a priority? Wow, yeah, that's a that's a great start. You know, what comes to mind is I can remember the side of my bed, in between my bed and the wall and the house that I grew up in New Jersey, just two or three inches deep with magazines, outside magazines, ski brochures. Everything was about the West and about the world outside of Jersey. And when I was 20 years old, after two years of college, I, 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 I went to college in the West Coast in Oregon, I just said to myself, you know what, after my sophomore year, I'm going to take a year off, I'm going to travel the world by myself. I'm going to go around the world. And my roommate at the time, it said like, no way, never going to happen. And, uh, you know, it was a declaration, you put it out there and you have to do it. Right. Right. And I re- I remember leaving Newark airport with my backpack on and, and, you know, at those days, you know, you're saying goodbye to your mom. Right. And, and seeing her and walking down that gate and that was it I, you know, that that's when travel really started for me. It, it was 20 years ago. You know, I, I was in the frontier provinces of Pakistan and Eastern Turkey and these places that, that have changed since then politically. But it was a great moment. I, lear- I learned from that trip that all you have to do to travel is buy the air ticket. That's all you got to do. Once you buy that ticket, everything else will happen. Yeah, you just figure it out as you go, right? I mean, who knows what, even, even back then, those areas were pretty remote and pretty and pretty distinct. It's not like you're saying, hey, I'm going to London for a week and then I'm going to Paris. It, it just falls into place, right? It just falls into place. You know, we weren't, we weren't traveling with phones. You know, I, I think Hilton Hotels had something like co- hotels in 30 countries in the world as opposed to having hotels in 150 countries in the world now. Um, it was a great time. You know, it's still a great time today. It's a little bit different. But uh, yeah, just getting out there. It's all that matters. So after that trip, then you, you went back and you, st- you went back to university, right? Correct. How different was it for you? Because I didn't do that in university. I've, I've just started doing it since kind of I was 26, right? And I, I know how different it is for me. But how was it for you to you know leave without having traveled a lot, come back with all these rich life experiences, and then be sitting in the same classrooms with the same people? Did it, did it feel different? Did something change in you? Yeah, it, it did. You know, I didn't notice the change as much. My friends are like, you're completely different, right? And I didn't notice it because it happened slowly to me. I do remember pulling my stuff out of storage in the bottom of the basement of my dorm and looking at that stuff and being like, wow, you know, you forget what's in there. And if that it was in a trunk, if that trunk had gone to the bottom of the ocean and, you know, I thought that stuff was important before I left, I came back, it was gone, would not have mattered, right? So that, that really changes your perspective. And then since then, you know, I just had the bug and it just it kind of created this laundry list of big adventures that I had to, had to knock off. And um, I have one or two left that I that I haven't tackled, but th- there's a good couple of them that have come to pass. So happy about that. Yeah, and I'm sure you'll be adding more and more. That's the thing. I, I kind of have a list too, and then you cross things off, but my list just keeps growing because I'm just <laughs> I go to a place and I didn't even know about something else, and some another traveler's like, oh well, here you are in Myanmar. It's really cool, but have you gone to this part of Myanmar? Like, no, I didn't even know it existed. And then all of a sudden, your mind starts racing. Like, now I got to go here. So. It's, you know, we're never at a loss for things to do and places to go. That's for sure. 
You wrote an incredible post talking about some of these epic things that you did. I remember reading this for the first time and just being like, wow, Stefan's an awesome writer, one, very concise, unlike myself, and two, this guy has done some really, really cool stuff. And it was the 27 crazy things you've done that are less crazy than becoming an entrepreneur. And after I saw this again, as I was going back through Buffworks, I realized I didn't even have to write show notes for this. We could have just went point by point by point because <laughs> some of these are just absolutely incredible. So I want to start the show off with, with some of these because we've talked about, hey, you know, you've done these crazy adventures. Just some of these that you have listed here. You know, I want you to touch on them and kind of give the, a little bit of a backstory of it. You know, one, you walked barefoot for weeks alone in the jungle. What? What? How did that come about, man? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Sometimes you look back at them, you're like, "Was that really a good idea?" Um, when I was that trip, I took when I was twenty, and you know, nine months around the world. You know, I had a lot to kind of prove and explore myself. And at the end of the trip, I ended up in a place called Irian Jaya, which is the, the island of New Guinea is half Papua New Guinea and half Irian Jaya, which belongs to Indonesia. And um, I, to make a long story short, I, you know, I grabbed a flight into a, a small town in the middle of, of, of the island. Uh, you can't drive in. You, know, you couldn't then. And um, I decided that I wanted to walk off in the jungle and I wanted to, quote, like, be close to the people, which is a little bit of a kind of a silly idea because I think we learn from travel. Like, you know, it takes it takes a lot to connect with people and cultures. You know, things are really deep. But I decided I was going to do it by walking off in the jungle by myself for two weeks without shoes. And um, why the no shoes thing? Was that just a spur of the moment or is that something that you traditionally do in your normal life? Yeah, no, 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 no. I am completely a shoe guy, actually. I, you're not going to catch me traveling in flip flops, and it's not me. I like I like a shoe under my feet. I, you know, I don't know, man. When you're 20 years old, you you know, I like adventure, and um, I didn't join the special forces. It wasn't you know that kind of route that I went. I just like intense adventure. So I, if I'd brought my shoes, I would have put them on in the first hour. <laughs> Because the the mountains were like 10,000 foot peaks, literally, with shale rocks. I'm not walking in soft jungle. I'm watching all of these peaks. So anyway, I had no map. I had a big machete. And um, I learned, actually, if you walk off in the jungle and you're walking down trails, those trails go someplace of value. You know, and you can judge a lot by the size of the trail. You know, the natives are not making trails to places that are, are of no value. Who would go there, right? So um, I just followed these trails for two weeks. Um, I had huge holes in my feet. My feet were infected. And you know, every night I'd be sleeping on the floor of a native hut, eating sweet potatoes and have like rats, you know, squeaking over your chest in the middle of the night. It was totally awesome. And um, I got to the end of it and there was a missionary camp deep in the jungle. And it was like, you know, I need to get out of here. Like, you know, I need some antibiotics. They, where do you put an airstrip in a mountainous jungle? You put it on the side of a mountain and the plane comes in. It's a teeny Cessna and it lands going up the hill this dirt, this mud runway, and it turns around at the top and then everybody gets out. It turns around before people get out, right? You can't turn the plane once you lose momentum. So it turns around, everybody gets out, you know, well, the two people are in it. I get in and, and the plane takes off and it's like a roller coaster. You shoot down this runway and then boom, it goes off the bottom. And the first thing it does is it drops because it doesn't have enough velocity yet. And so it drops and then, you know, the lift catches and it goes and you take off and bam, over the jungle, two-week walk-in, half-an-hour flight home. It was exhilarating. So you thought, you know, after you're like, hey, I'm going to get on this plane. Like, my adventure is over, right? I walked through the jungle. That was just the beginning. You had to get on that plane and, and take one of the most epic plane rides imaginable, I guess. 
Yeah, yeah. Actually, I hadn't showered in a month, and the people sitting next to me on the way back weren't that happy, and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, good times. What did the natives think about your no shoe thing? Was it normal for them, or were they even like, "Who's this crazy white guy walking around with no shoes"? Oh, well, I mean, there are no tourists in there, right? It's not not in the guidebook off the path. So I would walk into a village, and, and a woman in a grass skirt, she's wearing an only a grass skirt, right? Would they would look at me and they would go, "Iggy!" Like they'd scream, they'd laugh, they're like double over laughing. And the, the men were wearing penis gourds. Meaning, you know, you take this like long, this tube, it's like a, like a tube of paper towels, essentially. And you, you know, put your genitals in that. And then for the bottom part, you basically have a string. That's what they wear. And I stopped short of going that far. I, I don't have many pictures of the adventure because I didn't want to stick a camera in, in people's faces, but um, I do have one that, that that I can send you, actually. That would be good. Show. We'll put that in the show notes. That would be really, really funny. But you're talking about these guys and how little they're wearing, but one of the epic things you did was ran naked in front of Nike Town wearing only a pair of Nike. So you go from clothes and no shoes <sighs> to shoes and no clothes. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny. It's after, after uh, it's before I actually got a job at Nike and I, I worked I worked for them um, writing software for a number of years. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't, I don't think that, that, that the constructs are, are that important to always live by. It, uh, it was a great, it was a college dare. It was a great fun time. And, um, you know, why not enjoy yourself? Have a good time. People, laugh, you know, my best friend said she couldn't get off the pavement from laughing too hard. So, you know. <laughs> Why not make a contribution? We will be linking up this article, of course, in the show notes. There's 27 crazy things that Stefan did. Those are just two. We're actually going to talk about another one of how you got in first class without a ticket a little later. But what is interesting about this post is you write all this crazy stuff that you did and you say, hey, this is less crazy than becoming an entrepreneur. And, you know, all people might think, oh, yeah, okay, you're just writing that because it sounds cool and it's going to get people to click on it and whatever. But as a person who's also running my own company, and, and you're doing that with BuffWorks, I can attest to the fact that it is the hardest, most stressful, but most exhilarating thing I've ever done. So let's talk about that a little bit. Because BuffWorks, your company, how did that come about? Because you went from, as you just mentioned, you were writing code and doing stuff for other companies, probably having a good time while doing it. But then you started, you decided, that, hey, I'm going to ditch all that and start my own company. How did you come up with BuffWorks? Why did you decide to make that leap? Yeah, so so um, Bluffworks, you know, I don't know if people know, but um, we make a, a line of pants that are insanely wrinkle-free, like really wrinkle-free, comfortable, lightweight, quick-drying, made to go with you on whatever you're doing, whether you're you're going on a hike, you're riding your bike to work, maybe you're at home working your tail off and you want to wear these pants five days in a row. I love to wear them for lots of fun on the weekend, get sand in my pockets at the beach, put them in the hamper realize I have nothing else to wear and pull them out of the hamper on a Monday morning. Like, you know, guys are falling asleep in the couch in them and going to work the next day. I mean, that's the pants should not hold you back. So, you know, that's what our pants do. And the idea is that they're great for travel. They're great for work. You know, they perform technically, but they look fantastic. The idea came from the fact that when I was living in Asia, so I, I, I lived in Hanoi, Vietnam for two years. And um, while I was there, I worked for a Vietnamese software company. My salary was $4 an hour which was still a stack of cash and was very uncomfortable when they paid me in cash with a line of people behind me and, you know, stacks of bills you're carrying home. But, and while I was there, I wore travel clothes, you know, because for obvious reasons, I rode a motorbike to work, you know, Hanoi can be hot. And then I came home and being in New York, you have to conform to a high level, higher level of dress. And you can't wear the, uh, the Bing Tang t-shirts and, and the Leo, you know, all the stuff that you can buy there on the streets of Hanoi and, and yeah. Bangkok. 
North Face, Patagonia pants, that kind of stuff. You're, you know, you're not wearing, you're not wearing those in New York City. So um, I missed my travel clothes, and then I, then I had a kid, and at that point, never mind ironing your clothes. Don't want to pay for dry cleaning. I don't even want to wash my clothes, right? I, I do not even want to be doing laundry. So, and I realized, like, like come on, there's got to be a better way. So, you know, that's why I put Bluffworks together. What was the decision like then to to start your own company? Because as you said, like you did all this crazy stuff and being an entrepreneur is the hardest. So why then? Yeah, you wanted pants. Okay, I get that. But it's a big leap from saying, I wish someone would make pants that I didn't have to wash because I'm too lazy. I don't want to, to then saying, yeah, I'm going to take this on myself. Yeah, this it actually it actually came back for a slightly unfortunate reason. Um, you know, I don't know if you remember in the beginning of the life of Pi, they talked about how animals don't run to something. Animal's not going to leave its cage because it looks out of there and goes like, wow, that's great over there. Animals only run from something. So they will leave their cage if they're unhappy in their cage, right? They don't have a concept of what's great over the horizon. And I think that can be true of entrepreneurship too. I have you know, had many, many business ideas before that I had never marched off and done. I was always too busy working my tail off for, for a software job that I really enjoyed. And um, when I was in New York, I, I ended up in a job that I didn't like. Um, I found myself super trapped had high New York rent, just had a kid, and then the economy crashed. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go find another software job in New York City, not when thousands of good people are standing shoulder to shoulder out of work. Um, I just didn't have the chutzpah to say, oh, I'm, it's going to be me who finds a job when there's other good folks on the street. So I had to stick that job out for my family. I eventually got to the point of saying, look, I can't, I, I can't do it anymore. So we had two choices. Either, either we leave New York or we stay in New York City and I work on my own thing. And, that, and that's that's what I did. So I vowed that I was going to start my own company. And there's a story in there about moving in with my parents for a few months. And you know, there's we had always to make a story some, about starting your own company and moving in with your parents, right? You know, that hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, my two year old slept in the closet, you know, at, at the time, right? I mean, it's, it's different when you have a family, but that's good stuff, you know. And then I, after that, I had to run the company for two years, two and a half years, in parallel with my day job. And that was very difficult. I want to get into that a little bit in just a moment of how you were able to balance that because you weren't saying, hey, I'm just going to leave and go fly off and try to do this thing. Like you said, you had responsibilities that some entrepreneurs have, some don't. A family, obviously rent, you had to do certain things a certain way. I want to talk about how you then started because you ran a really successful Kickstarter campaign to get Bluffworks started. And I haven't run a Kickstarter before. I have a bunch of friends who who have, would you recommend using Kickstarter to others who are kind of in a similar situation where they're like, I got this idea. I think it's really good. I obviously don't have the money to just invest myself. I don't have anyone else who's going to invest in me. I need to kind of bring this to the people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kickstarter is a fantastic platform. You know, money's important. The things that you're going to get from Kickstarter that are actually more important that people may not have been as connect with is you're going to get that customer feedback. Um, you're going to prove whether or not your product is viable. It has legs. And you know, you're going to get customer feedback to make your product better. So for example, when we started our, our project, we only had three colors. We had a light gray, a khaki, and a brown. I wasn't making a charcoal. And people were like, hello, you got to make us a black pant. You got to make a darker pant. And we added that color during the Kickstarter campaign. And then boom, it's, it was our bestseller. It was our bestseller then. It's our bestseller today. And, you know, none of us have all the skills or the capabilities to see around all of those corners. And Kickstarter is just a fantastic, you know, avenue for getting that feedback 
where you have to commit ca- capital. Great, great, great stuff. Great platform. If people want to do a Kickstarter, what are some of the biggest things that you did to make it a success? Because I think I, I looked, you can maybe share the numbers if you remember. What did you raise? $129,000 or something like that. I don't, what was your original goal with that? So the goal for us was 13500 I think. And the reason the goal was set at that is that was the cost for doing our minimum production run. Okay, so you knocked that obviously out of the park. What did you do? So someone's sitting there like, "Hey, that's awesome. I'm I I want I'm interested in Kickstarter. What kind of advice can you give and what were maybe a few one, two, three of the biggest things that that really made it successful?" So one, one little thing is you do actually and this is this is going to help me answer your question is at the end of the project you send a survey to your backers and you're not supposed to ask demographic marketing questions like how old are you and you know that kind of stuff how much money do you make you're not supposed to answer those questions but you can't ask people why did you back my project and the people had said in it that you were the most passionate about wrinkle-free pants you were serious about it you know they've seen wrinkle-free <laughs> pants in the marketplace before but no one stood up and said you know what i think you should wear your pants for five days never wash them and still look great right other people said your project looked well put together and a couple of people said you know your kid was cute right so um Kickstarter is is no longer charity platform for I'm going to help this guy out, right? It's there. You can use it to raise money from your friends, but it's becoming much more competitive, much more serious business. So you really, you need to have your act together. And it's interesting if Kickstarter is the platform for proving whether or not your idea has success, now your Kickstarter unveiling is so important. You need to figure out ways to prove whether or not your idea is well presented or well crafted before you launch on Kickstarter. So now you got to figure out, well, oh, how do I do a pre Kickstarter? Do I, you know, get feedback from people who aren't your friends? You got to be really serious about this. Make sure it's well presented. Your video is key. Your passion is key. And then having things organized so you could actually deliver is very important because most projects are late. It is crazy. Just in the last year, I've noticed that these Kickstarter campaigns are getting insane. Like before it'd be like if you had a decent, decently put together video, like you stood out. Now you're watching videos that are super, super high quality. I mean, commercial level videos, professional commercial level videos that are not only half a minute, that are like two and a half minutes. And I'm just looking at these things like, wow, if you want to succeed on Kickstarter, you really, really have to put in a lot of time and effort. It's not just, hey, my idea is great. It really comes down to how you can present it, which obviously your video did really well. And you kickstarted it two and a half, three years ago, was it? Yeah, it was, it'll, be, it'll be three years. Three years now. Three years in May. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the things that you did even then you know, are taken to an, another level now with, with some of these things. I just saw one for, for Barracuda Luggage. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. But yep. yep. I watched that and I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Not only is it an amazing product, if you guys haven't seen it, we'll link in the show notes, but go to Kickstarter, put Barracuda Luggage. It's like this fold-down luggage system. It's just really neat and unique, but their video was was top-notch. Yeah, really awesome. So you talk about then, all right, you got the Kickstarter, you got the funding and everything like that. What about the realities after you did your Kickstarter? Because one of the things that you were pretty open about in some of the stuff that you were sending out to people who supported the Kickstarter was, hey, this is great. Like, this is a high. I've got, you know, I got funded so much more than I ever imagined would happen. But now the rubber kind of meets the roads. What was it like after the Kickstarter campaign? So we were thrilled. I mean, it just gave us a, a fantastic start. We did pretty well delivering. Our first deliveries are about a month late after we said, and then a couple of them trickled in, you know, maybe two, two, three months after certain sizes and, you know, 
So that was good. That was a success. You know, then I ran the company for three years in parallel with my day job. And that was just ridiculously hard. And I, you know, you could look at it and say, wow, I should have gone and like gotten more funding or I should, you know, you should have done this. You should have done that. You know, that, that just kind of ended up being my path. I, I, I didn't want to take investments so early um, because of the, you know, how much we'd have to give up for the company. So I decided, I decided that I was going to limp it and, um, do it in parallel with my day job. And my day job essentially funded it. And then it just started to like grow and grow and grow. And I did that organically for long enough that it really proved that it had legs. It had enough legs. And then I was able to leave my job this just this past January. What so. was that day-to-day balance like? Like, were you working a traditional nine to five and then coming home five to 10 doing buff works? Or, or how did that even work out? Yeah, it's everything. I mean, it's the mornings before work. It's the evenings after work. It's Saturday and Sunday morning, you know, before your your kid is really needs you, right? You know, my son would get up and maybe we'd easy to play with his trains or maybe we'd let him watch the iPad for a little while and I'd be hammering away and then you get back. Then, then you know, we spend the weekend day. Um, and then actually, thankfully, my job at the time was not as demanding. It, it went it went up and down, but it definitely gave me a lot of flexibility. And I was I was working on my my own company. I was working on Bluff, you know, at my day job, you know, quite a bit. And that's because I didn't have great responsibilities there at the time. It's the same thing that was making me miserable, right? It wasn't a good fit for me, but they kept me around. And so, um, you know, and I'm I'm thankful for that. I mean, you look back in the past, and it's just like, wow, it's it's that those catalysts at that job that helped me that pushed me to really start the company, you know, and then in the end there were some management changes and some, some great leadership came back to, to my old company and now they're doing great, you know, and I'm really happy for that, that, that too, I got to see that before I left. So were there ever any points in there where you thought, you know, I can't, I can't do this. Like you knew you couldn't leave your, your regular job because you know, you had to make the money, you had to support the family. Were there ever any points where you're like, I can't do bluff. It's, it's just going to have to die or it's going to be put on hold or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. I wish I kept a chart. You know, if I had just just done, I don't know, a one to 10, how you feel or something on a day to day basis, it would have been like, you know, peaks and valleys and maybe a connection with travel. This is this is why it's so hard. I think travel, people probably talk a lot about about culture shock. And I don't think that culture shock has anything to do with, oh, my God, you know, I'm not used to this food or you know, the sights and the sounds. I think culture shock is when you go someplace and you take all the things that make you feel good about yourself, your friends, maybe it is some of your food, your, your comfort food, your cup of coffee, you know, your job, your exercise, your pastimes, the things that make you feel good about yourself. If you, if you remove those, that's culture shock. And I've felt that while I was, you know, living overseas, you know, you, the things can creep up on you, blah, blah, blah. And I really felt that while I was running bluff in parallel with my day job, because I felt like I was good at nothing. And you just, you just suck it away. You know, I'm, I'm not good at my day job. You know, bluff at times would suffer. My family needs me, you know, where's my time for exercise and adventure. And wait a second, all these guys are wearing these pants all over the world. And, you know, they're sending their pictures back. Where's my travel? Right. 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 Like, like I'm working my tail off. I'm 10, you know, I own 10,000 yards of fabric in a warehouse. That's baggage. You know, that's not minimalism. I mean, I'm painting you the, 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 the toughest or is exhilarating as well. But I think we've all experienced those moments of low when we when we travel that are kind of related to culture shock. And the same thing happens for entrepreneurship. And then and then just maybe the other thing is your skills. You know, you just get you you hold this mirror up, and it's your job to do everything at some degree, even if you hire for it. And 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 
There's no way that everybody is the best at everything, and you see those deficiencies. So uh, that's why the 27 Adventures were nothing compared to entrepreneurship because on those 27 Adventures, I was cocky enough. Even if it wasn't it wasn't accurate. You know, I thought I was gonna ma- I was gonna make it out of the jungle one way or another, and I did. But I was cocky enough or naive enough to have a sense of um, of optimism and confidence. And uh, entrepreneurship can kick your butt. Take it away. Yeah, and the ignorance is bliss. And I, I'm sure there are times that you'll look back now and think, if I knew everything that was going to suck or going to be hard or all the obstacles, I probably wouldn't have even started BluffWorks. I mean, that is the beauty of the ignorance is bliss because you do stuff without knowing what it's going to be like. And it's fun when you're doing it. But if you knew it ahead of time, you'd be like, nah, I think I'll pass on this. Yeah, mate, absolutely. I've, I have absolutely felt that. Yeah, that is that is so cool. And I, I really like the point that you made, too, where you were just talking about how, you know, like you have all this baggage and where's my travel? And I, I think that it is a really fine line, you know, because you want to do these projects. And obviously, as an entrepreneur, you're, you're invested really deeply in it because it's your thing. It, maybe it's your company or maybe you're even working with someone else. But then you look around and you're like, well, I'm teaching people about this life of travel or I'm helping people travel with these pants and all this stuff. But why am I in beautiful Playa del Carmen, Mexico, sitting in front of a computer instead of at the beach? You know, it is there's a ton of sacrifices. And I think we would both be the first to agree that we're really lucky. But sometimes you feel like, wait a second, uh, am I building the life I actually want or am I, you know, kind of like kidding myself here? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it can happen with anybody who turns a passion into a job. You know, you wonder about, how, you know, how much does that become, you know, kind of a, a passion. Yeah. So. What are some of the, then, the skills that you think, because you mentioned, you know, not everyone has the skills. And I think being naive to it and just going into it is one way to get past not having the skills because you don't really even realize you don't have the skills or you don't know what they are. But what are some of the skills that you've learned for being a successful entrepreneur? Like, what are some things that maybe you had before that you didn't know you had or things that you've acquired as you've kind of gone down this path? I think the most important thing is that I, I got a couple things, but the most important thing is that you need to be willing to accept criticism and you need to act on that criticism. Right. I mean, if you just, and, and I'll give you, I'll give you a specific example. That's something on our website right now that I've gotten negative feedback on that we have to change and it, it could hurt. Right. So people have said that the product shots on our website of, of the model standing there in the pants, they don't look good. They're not styled right. They don't like the shirt. It's not cool. You know, obviously it's okay for lots and lots of people because, you know, bluff is growing and those things are fantastic, but you get that feedback and then you go, wow, I hadn't seen that. I didn't realize that. So we're reshooting our photography next week, right? But entrepreneurs kind of fall into one or two camps for me. You've got people who are just so confident in their ideas and their approach that they're not going to listen to reason. And I've seen people ride this all the way into the ground. And then you have other people that are that are open, they're flexible, they know to pivot. And, you know, you see companies, you know, a company like Twitter was not the original intent for the product for them to build. You know, they built it as a software tool to help them communicate, to build something else. And then they realize, wait a second, that something else is is crap. You know, it's going down in flames, but we have this Twitter thing. You know, we have this thing we can turn into Twitter. So being able to accept criticism is just absolutely huge. Related to that is being able to edit. When I do my Kickstarter videos, it takes me... I'm going through like four or five large concepts. I'm not talking about any of the words. Concepts. 
okay, okay, we're going to do it like this. Two guys are going to walk in, they're going to show the pants, you know, and, and that's going to be my idea for a couple weeks. And then I realized, like, no, no, that's no good. No, no, we're, okay, sitting on the subway, I mean, complete revolutions. And as an entrepreneur, you've got to be able to edit your stuff. you got to edit your writing. you got to cut, 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 right? Touching on that ability to take criticism, one of the interesting things, and it's cool that you're reshooting the actual pants, is I showed my buddy today. He's like, who are you interviewing? I'm like, oh, Stefan from Bluffworks. Oh, let me see it. So we showed the website. He's like, yeah, those pants, they just look a little like conservative. And I was like, yeah, because the model who's wearing them is dressed in like what someone would wear to work. Now we would buy bluffs as travelers. I wear bluffs as a traveler. So to me, it's like, yeah, that does look conservative or it looks dressy, which is part of the point, but it's really neat because I was like, yes, this this does look a little too dressy. Like when I wear them, I don't feel like I look that dressed up, which is why I like wearing them for travel. I don't want to look like a guy who's walked out of the office, but is at the beach. I want to look like I could do both. And I think Bluffs does it, but the picture didn't show that. So really interesting that you brought that up and that you decided, hey, we do need to change this. Yeah, that's great. And like uh, criticism, like throw it at me. Let me have it, right? Because if I don't know it, I can't change it. What we, how would you rather it be? So that's great. You know, we have an interesting, we've had an interesting challenge with the product. Like, what is the product used for? You know, I mean, our DNA is in, it's in adventure. A lot of that adventure gets practiced in travel, but also in my life, a lot of that adventure right now is just rolling around on a dirty playground with my son, going down a wet slide. You know, that's where the adventure is, dancing in the subway. Those are the things we do. So everybody's got their different usages. You know, sometimes how you present the product is a little bit of a challenge that we're working through. But I think I, I'm glad to hear that you have the same view and hopefully we'll make the photos better next week. Yeah, it's always hard, right? You know, so I get people with feedback like, why do you talk about entrepreneurship on a travel show? Why don't you just talk about, like, why don't you have Stefan on just to talk about his 27 adventures? And we could do that. But, you know, a lot of people who want to travel obviously want to be able to travel more. They want to have a lifestyle that lends itself to that. And so it is, it's a balance between what are our main things and how do we work them together? And, you know, we try to do our best, obviously, and it doesn't make everyone happy. But in the end, I think you can only make the thing that you want or that you believe in. And if that's a little different from how it started, well, sometimes that happens. Yeah. Yeah. What's been the most important thing that you guys have been able to do to grow Bluffworks? Because now you're doing Bluffworks full time. So we can talk about the story behind that too. But what have you done to see it grow? Like what has been that thing that's like, all right, this is an idea. It got kickstarted. We get some customers, but now it's now it's time to actually level it up or else we're not going to you know, continue to just be middling along at the beginning level. The best kind of growth for us comes from being picked up by blogs. So when a blog sees our pants and somebody does a review and they said, these are fantastic, like, boom, you know, we see a spike of sales in the moment. And then we get just kind of this evergreen of sales for on and on and on. You know, when we get in, when we get in people's packing lists, right, it just, it, it, it's fantastic. Um, and then the other thing is that actually the organic has just been incredible. I mean, just people talking about them, it just goes so far. And um, I guess that just comes from like really focusing on the product. And um, we really try to take care of people through customer service. We just, we don't want to let anybody down. Um, so that's a big, a big philosophy and tenet for ours. I, I just thought of this story right now. I can't believe I didn't think about it earlier. When I was in Myanmar on a bus from, I think it was Inlay Lake down over to Bagan. I can't remember which way we were going. A guy on the bus, it was mostly locals, but there was about 12 travelers. I see this guy get on these pants. I'm like, oh, those look pretty sharp, right? 
and um, no and I'm way. looking at them, and I'm like, those look exactly like the gray bluffs that I have. So you know, he was sitting like 15 rows ahead of me, and he actually kind of looked like I actually for a second I'm like. Is this Stefan? Like it, it looked similar to what I had seen oh, of you on the site. And so, you know, we get off, we have one stop and I and I and we get off and I go up to him like, dude, this is gonna sound really weird. But um, where'd you find those pants? Like, what are those pants? And he's like, Oh, it's a company called Bluff Works, this and that. And I just started laughing. And I'm like, I've got the same pair of pants. I'm not wearing them right now, but I've got the same pair of pants. I think that's so neat because it speaks to the organic nature of it. Like it's not these huge marketing campaigns. It's like people talking about it. Cause he was super excited when I knew about it. He was like, Oh, someone else knows about it. these are great. These are like the only pants I bring with me on this travel, blah, blah, blah. And of course, like there was a, there was a bond there. Oh, I, you know, maybe this will kind of reveal like how small we still are and, and, and how close to my heart the company is, but that has never happened to me. So I have yet to bump into somebody on the street completely organically wearing the pants. I've seen people come, of course, that I know, guys come to the office or, you know, I've seen a guy cross me on the street who I knew was wearing a pair of bluffs. Awesome. And people send in fantastic photos and emails. And, and when people do that, they write us a review. Kind of a guy just wrote a review about climbing the pyramids and going to nightclubs and wiping out on his bike and, you know, 50 different things in his bluffs. And he loved, you know, I mean, those things make me sore. So, that's that's it's so great that it happened to you. And actually, I can tell you, I, I know who the, who the first person. Well, I have this risk of who I might bump into first because one of the very very early pairs, a prototype test pair, I gave to a friend of mine, and they didn't fit him because he's kind of like a a big a big caboose kind of guy, so he needs pleated pants, right? So I asked for the pair back because I need to do some fabric testing, and he's like, Oh no no, I don't have them. I gave him the Goodwill, and I was like. What? Like this was one of the first like three pairs ever made. You right. Know? That's something that's like hanging on your office wall, you know? Right. My original pair of Nikes or whatever, right? You know, they look completely different. The fit's different, whatever. You know, he gives them the goodwill. So I'm convinced that the first guy I ever I ever see wearing a pair of bluffs is gonna be a homeless guy on the street and, and, and I'm gonna have to give him a hug and that's just good the way it's gonna be. So Yeah, and he's go. gonna say, I haven't washed these pants in three years, and you're gonna be like, That's what bluffs are all about, my friend. <laughs> You know what? I have honestly thought of doing like a charitable side thing of um, we we did give a bunch of pants to an organization that gives new clothing to people in need, because I guess apparently it really it really is a great, a great, a great need. But um, we thought about actually doing a pant for, for a homeless guy, like, believe it or not, you know. Would it, would it help? You know, they're quick dry and they'd keep you warm and you're not cold and wet when you get stuck in the rain. So I've thought about it. There you go. And you will eventually run into someone because I've been doing this now, not as long as you've been doing bluffs, but for the first time, this was four days ago, I'm walking through the Boulder Creek Festival on Memorial Day. Don't live in Boulder. My, my business partner lives here. I don't spend that much time here. Just walking down and I hear, hey, Travis. I'm like, okay, you know, look around and there's this guy who's selling newspapers at a tent. And I'm, I look at him he goes, and right away he goes, you don't know me. Don't worry. And I'm like, nah. all right, good, because I have no idea who you are. He's like, I just read your blog. I, I noticed you. I hope you don't think this is weird that I'm um, reaching out. I'm like, of course not. Like, this is awesome. And we just got to talking. He's like, it's so weird because I feel like I know you. Like, is it weird that I think you're my friend already because I read everything you do and I love the podcast? I'm like, no, dude, I appreciate Like, he doesn't know how much I appreciate it that he reached out to me because he he could have been like, oh, that'd be weird. And it's it was the first time it happened where someone who I didn't know recognized me. And I'm like, all right, this is cool. 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. So where's BluffWorks headed then? Because I know you've got some ideas in in the uh, back of your mind here. Absolutely, yeah. So um, what is it right now? It's the end of May. So, so in June, we have our second Kickstarter coming out. Three years after the first one, long overdue, we are putting out, I haven't, I haven't shared this yet, so hey, what the hell, right? We are putting out a soft and stretchy and wrinkle-free chino pant. So it doesn't have the grain of the current bluffs, which are designed to look in some ways a little more formal, a little bit more like, like wool. We're putting out a chino. And, um, but you know, most chinos are cotton, they're heavy, you know, they're hot, they don't stretch that well. It's an unbelievable chino. I mean, it's just, it's just defied our expectation and you cannot get these suckers to wrinkle. So very, very excited about that. Um, that's coming out in June on Kickstarter. I have a great script for, for the video, um, shooting next Thursday, the middle of the night in a diner in New York city. And, um, hopefully that helps us tell the story of the pant. So. Awesome. I can't wait to see the video. And also the Chino, I have been looking for for years, probably like you, for a perfect lightweight pant because most of the places I travel, you know, if we're going to Southeast Asia, things like that, you don't need pants. Like you want a pair of pants. You don't just want all shorts, but everything is so heavy unless you're buying the $3 Thai fisherman pants at the market, yeah. which will rip in three days. I mean, they're cool for those three days you have them, a dollar a day, yeah. right? Yeah. And I've been looking high and low, and you know, J. Crew makes stuff that's kind of lightweight, but nothing that's wrinkle free, nothing that's really for travelers. It's more like kind of marketed in that way, but not obviously made for them. So I cannot wait. That is really cool. When, what's the time frame on availability for those? So, I mean, so we actually have already ordered the fabric. So this is one of the successes for Kickstarter is in, in my mind is that you need to bring forward some of your toughest linchpin. You know, you got, you got to bring it forward as much as you can. So um, the fabric is on the water right now. We produce our fabric in Asia, but we sew the pants in the United States. So I'm going to have the fabric in my hand at the time of the Kickstarter launch, which is going to be the middle of June. You know, there's nothing stopping us between having fabric and being able to sew pants because we sew a couple thousand pairs a month right now, right? So we know how to sew pants. So we'll be ready and they're going to deliver. You know, I think we're going to tell people that they're delivering in October, but the production schedule has them dropping earlier with the idea that we would deliver all of like the first tier award by October, but some of them are going to get them, you know, get them before. So. Yeah, and I gotta say, you you want criticism, you should also accept praise too. On I love the design, and I don't know if you're still doing this with the pants on the pockets on the inside, the whole um, made in New York City with the little with the skyline that you've been putting on the pockets. Is that still going on? Is that still a thing? Yep, yep. We're still gonna print. We're still gonna print the pockets. Um, with, I just with thought the that was such a cool touch. Like oh, I, I like got it. the pants, and I'm like, this is neat. Like I, I'm big on branding. It was it was a really cool touch. I'm really glad. It's great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you like it. I know, I know, I know. Stefan, one of the coolest guests we've had on. What an amazing storyteller. And he's got some incredible adventures. I feel like we could have talked forever, which we almost did. Our conversation went for about an hour and a half. And that is why we're cutting this interview up into two parts. So if you liked part one with Stefan, the one that you just heard, you're definitely going to want to tune into part two. I think it gets even better. In part two, Stefan 
tells us his super surprising favorite place to travel, which I did not expect from someone who's been all over the world. So you're going to want to listen for that. He also gives us some incredible adventures. We dive into some of the more incredible things he's done, including how he was able to fly first class without a first class ticket, something everyone should be interested in, and also why he bought a wet newspaper for $40 and what that taught him about life. He's going to give us a little bit of travel advice as well that a lot of people don't think about, and that is the difference between traveling someone else's fantasy and doing what you love. And last but not least, Stefan will also generously give out a discount code for Bluffworks pants or anything that Bluffwork produces in the future, a discount code just for EPOP listeners. This was not something that I expected him to do, so we're very thankful for that. You're going to want to tune into part two of my interview with Stefan Lobel so that you can hear all those stories and get that discount code. You can find that on iTunes. You can get that on Stitcher. Of course, you can get it at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. Speaking of discount codes, another awesome travel company that gives EPOP listeners a special discount, Tortuga Backpacks. Thank you guys for sponsoring today's episode. We really appreciate it. If you guys do want to get an awesome travel backpack, head on over to tortugabackpacks.com. Make sure to use that discount code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters. That will get you 10% off your entire order. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Thank you for all the continued support. Thank you for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And again, make sure you check out part two of my interview with Stefan because it only gets better. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris.